1: Hello Clash Clashbutters, today's film deals with themes of suicide, so if that would be upsetting or triggering for you, it might be best to give this one a miss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episode, In the Red Corner. <laughs> Ever wondered what happens when you die? Kiefer Sutherland has, and he's like a genius, which apparently means he can be a massive dick to everyone. Thankfully, the everyone in question are a bunch of self-obsessed bullies and sex perverts, so it's all good. Anyway, we're here to root for this bunch of narcissists as they kill themselves to get famous. From 1990, it's Flatliners. Today's a good
2: day to die.
1: Flatline. 30
2: seconds to go. Can you
0: recall any specific emotion or sensation? No, but there is something out there. We're running out of time. 300, clear. Nothing. Your heart go again, clear. Nothing, I
1: can't hear anything. Come on, Nelson, breathe. We lost him. No. (laughs) While in the blue corner, war is hell. The New York subway is hell. A really overcrowded house party is hell having to talk to an overfriendly palm reader who you don't know on the stairs of a house party? Is hell no surprise that Tim Robbins has a hell of a time trying to find out what the hell is going on? As from 1991, we walk under Jacob's ladder.
0: Every day, Jacob Singer goes to work. What's wrong? Uh, it's one of those days. And every day, he wonders what is happening to him.
2: Maybe it's the pressure, Jake. they
0: yeah. like Demons, Jeff. Clearly, look at your hand. Yeah, you very strange lines. See, according to this,
2: you're already dead.
0: Something's wrong, Jake. They're coming after me. I don't know who they are or what they are, but they're gonna get me, and I'm scared, Jake.
1: So, what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello Clash Podders. You bring the equipment, I'll bring my balls. I'm Alex Zane. I'm, Chris- I'm
3: Crumpton. <laughs> Jesus. I'm <Chris> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Try me, Chris, sorry. He call oh, that. Jesus. Kiefer- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland definitely says that line. I wouldn't make that up. Uh
3: Hey, No, No, I know.
1: It's a wonderful line in, um, in a wonderful film, but I'm getting ahead of myself. How are you both doing? I miss your faces.
3: I'm fine. I've found this week I've got no patience for little things. Um, like, if iPlayer doesn't work for, like, half a second, I think I'm going to cry. But big things I can deal with. Like, I think the house is collapsing, but, you know, it's just on my to-do list. Wow. That seems like the wrong way round. I know, but does no one else feel like that? It's just lockdown. It's just everything's, uh, yeah, upside down, so... Uh,
1: I cried at the cut scene in a video game the other day.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. You yeah, know what I I'm talking so. about.
4: Chris? Yeah, I'm good. I'm very good and I've got no time for small talk.
1: Great. Let's uh <laughs> let's crack on. Let's talk about death. Death. This week's clash, Flatliners versus Jacob's Ladder, or as I'm calling it, if at first you don't succeed, die and die again. These were my choices. Why? Because I've created a new mini game with myself where I connect this week's films to last week's <laughs> films. For no reason at all. Uh, a happy coincidence. Adrian Lyne and Julia Roberts are my connections. I hope you're going to join in with this game, guys, when it's your turn. Uh, I also... spotted another
3: one. Uh, Jason Alexander as well. Can I have that as a connection? Oh, shit. Yes, yes, Jason. Yeah, can we stop watching films with George Costanza in them? Because I can't cope with it. My brain does not accept that he's anyone else uh, it's than George for me Costanza. because I can't am deal with George
4: it. Costanza. And so... Yeah, and so you when are. he's being nasty on screen, like really nasty, I can't, I can't take it because I'm Seinfeld George Costanza, not movie George Costanza. <laughs> yeah,
1: you do. Uh, yeah, and George Costanza specifically playing lawyers as well, uh, not just any Ooh. old George Costanza role. Do you know what the weird thing is? The writer of Indecent Proposal, which we did last week, so doesn't bear much relevance to this show, actually wanted Jason Alexander to play the lawyer in that. So he could have been the lawyer in both <laughs> films last week and one this week. Wow. <laughs> and uh, that's the uh, new trailer for my Jason Alexander podcast that I'm doing, uh, the movies of Jason Alexander. Uh, I'm starting it. Uh, you're both invited. <laughs> right. So, the clue I gave on last week's pod for this combination was I see dead people, not the sixth sense. Chris helped me sort out that very vague clue on Twitter. With what, Chris? What's the story Purgatory? Very nice. Very nice. That's on Twitter. At ClashPod, if you don't follow us already. Clues like that are just the beginning. Get on Twitter. At ClashPod. It's it's a whole world of fun. Uh, we're also on Instagram at ClashPod, uh, which is also a world of fun. Uh, so the guesses came pouring through from the spirit world onto Twitter. Uh, we've had some really interesting pairings this week. Uh, let me get your thoughts on these. And also, we uh, clearly uh, need to do Beetlejuice very soon. <laughs> Paul Logue. Beetlejuice versus the Frighteners. <laughs> Dino, Frank B. and Gemma Page, Beetlejuice versus Ghost. This is the C says Beetlejuice versus Death Becomes Her. Carl Smart, Beetlejuice versus Poltergeist. Katie, Beetlejuice versus Casper. Which of those do you want to do with Beetlejuice?
3: <laughs> I'd love to do Ghost because I love that film. Mm. So that.
1: Yeah, I like, I like Casper. All right. Um, here's another one. Peter Mahoney though said "Ghost versus Always," which I like a lot. Uh, I, I'm not an Always guy. I think it's quite forgettable. One of the worst Spielberg's. Saw it once as a kid. Cried. Uh, that would certainly make me cry at the moment. Um, all right. How about these other great suggestions that came in? Ryan Peckett, Corpse Bride versus Coco. Love that. And you've been you've been saying we need to do animation, Christopher.
4: Yeah, we'll we'll do animation in the next few weeks. I
1: think there'll be something coming up. Oh well, okay. Exciting. Uh and Andy Morton finally, Dawn of the Dead versus Dawn of the Dead. Mm, sod off, Alex. What? Well, I'm just saying. Uh, one of those movies I, I have a few uh Inside trade secrets that I can Oh my god. Oh Jesus oh god. I can't believe I we're doing oh this. My god, I Alex, oh. you, oh my you god. surely oh you've used god. up all your
4: Dawn of the Dead anecdotes on this podcast, because you do one every bloody week. Only the true
1: ones. Um <laughs> I, I can <laughs> I can spend some time, come up with some stuff. Uh, Zack Snyder uh, pitched me the Snyder Cut when I was on the set of Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right then, Uh, the correct answer this week came from Russell. He was the only right answer. He said Flatliners versus Jacob's Ladder. It's the connection section. What have you got for me? What connects these two films?
3: Uh, I've got Timothy Leary. So... I can't remember how Oliver Platt says it in Flatland is but he's like fuck you Timothy Leary we're the big dicks now
1: or something. <laughs> Sounds about right. I'll bring I'll bring my balls <laughs> Timothy Leary. You you bring the LSD and I'll bring yeah. my massive balls. Exactly.
3: And um uh Bruce Joel Rubin the writer of Jacob's Ladder he had a roommate who was a good friend of Timothy Leary. The roommate gave him some LSD, he took some LSD. Hello Jacob's Ladder.
1: Nice. That's great,
4: uh, Chris. Yeah, the, the Tibetan Book of the Dead as well was an inspiration uh, for both movies.
1: Yeah, did you? We, we, the writer of uh, Jacob's Ladder didn't he take so much LSD at Uni Victoria that he he thought he didn't exist for a long time? Like he was actually convinced <laughs> that he didn't exist, and then he realized after he did exist that he needed to tell people his experience of being on LSD, which. It's amazing that Jacob's Ladder turned out so well when you consider that was. Because can you imagine someone going, uh, "Listen, I I've been on LSD for six days and I've got an idea for a movie, so I'm going to write it down and I'm going to make you want, Can you imagine just going? I don't. I don't even want to. I don't even want to hear about it, let alone watch shit as a movie.
4: Uh, Subways are scary. Yeah yeah
3: yeah also so are hospitals mm. weirdly hospitals you would run a motherfucking mile from yeah hospitals which like the church thing like in flatliners yeah. what is that uh and obviously jacob's side of the hospital is meant to be awful but the hospital oh i know it's not a hospital but the the operating room this gothic nightmare thing uh doesn't look very clean for a start um and doesn't look like a place that you should be performing any sort of operation
1: Agreed. Uh, to be more specific, screaming people wheeled down corridors on gurneys in terrifying hospitals. Both scenes, uh, both films feature a scene like that.
4: Uh, they're both about the fact that war screws you up. What?
3: Yes. Wait, who? How? Ye- uh, Julia Roberts' oh, his dad. Yeah, in good, Flatliners, good. he's he's not had a good oh, war, has he? No. So
1: But better one than Tim Robbins, though. Uh, probably. You know.
3: Yeah. Sport? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? It's up for debate. There's, I, I um, feel like I feel like no
4: one knows how to switch on a light in either film because everyone's everyone's <laughs> living in darkness and they're all living <laughs> in cities that appear to be post apocalypse, even though the apocalypse hasn't <laughs> happened. Like it, it looks like the world has just ended <laughs> on the streets of both of these uh movies.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 well, I mean, we're going to talk about it, I'm sure. But what the hell is going on, both inside and outside that museum? I want to say in
3: Flatliners. I know. I hope. I, I. That's a question I have, and I really hope one <laughs> of you has got the answer because it looks like a major incident has taken place. Um, I don't get it. Have
1: we got any more, or is that is that are we done? Shall I tell you the real connection? Right. Yes. Done. Uh, yeah. It is when your past comes back to haunt you. AKA an examination of what happens when you cross the boundary between life and death and how the dreams you have while you're dead or dying affect your existence in the world of the living, or as I'm calling it hashtag YOLO bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get the youth audience in. Got to get them in. Um, Oh, well, that'll do it. <laughs> do you reckon? I wasn't sure. Yeah. I think YOLO might be over, but great. Good to know, V. Uh, so Victoria will be helping us onto the bottom rung of Jacob's Ladder on Thursday, which means that today Chris is going to kill us as he is a guide through the afterlife of flatliners. Christopher, take us on a journey. A group of beautiful,
4: preening, affluent, privileged, entitled medical students briefly kill themselves to find out what happens in the realm between life and death. And turns out that netherworld is filled with the mistakes of their past, forcing our so-called heroes to atone for sins like bullying, voyeurism, bullying, feeling bad about your dad dying and eating a sandwich. Meaning a film that starts out asking the ultimate question ends like a badly lit episode of My Name is Earl.
1: So, (laughs) I love Uh, that show (laughs) That was such a good show at the start That show went so off the rails We should do My Name is Earl on a special sitcom episode Carry on Vicky, when did you first see Flatliners?
3: I saw it at university Oh, uh, it didn't. I mean, the thing is, I, I, I had like a reputation, didn't it, of like being quite edgy and quite cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch Flatliners finally. And I did. And then I was like, okay. And then I'd just forgotten more or less everything about it until last week. Excellent. Uh, Alex.
1: So it's edgy, it's cool, it's memorable. I love it. Uh, Just a few words to describe my experience of watching Flatliners for the first time. Uh, I watched it in the 90s, early 90s on video. This, though, is my defining Kiefer Sutherland movie, like more than any other work of Kiefer Sutherland, followed by Stand By Me and then The Three Musketeers, which obviously he starred in with Tim Curry, which completes this week's obligatory Tim Curry reference. But this was my Kiefer Sutherland movie. I adored him. What so about much. Lost Boys? Where does Lost yeah. Boys fit? My Lost Boys, I watched about eight years ago for the first time. So But I, that's I, not your you know, Kiefer Sutherland movie. Because I, I was too old. So I was, I was you know, well, how old am I now? I was sort of in my late <laughs> teens 10 years ago. Yes. So yes, that's fine. when I watched um, yeah, mm. Lost Boys. Fine. So no, this, this was it. I had a coat like Kiefer Sutherland as a, <laughs> as a sort of 14-year-old. I bought some glasses with fake glasses to have the glasses that he had in this movie uh, so I could look like him. So yeah, big, uh, big <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland fan in this movie, which is weird because watching it back now, what a twat. <laughs> what a massive twat. He's literally the villain
4: of the piece, but fine. He's, he's awful. A- he, he's <laughs> so awful.
1: Like, not even, because you know, I have a massively high tolerance for dicks in movies. And I go, yeah, they're really, like, Timothy Oliphant is a massive dick in Go. He's also the best thing about it, and he's why I answered the phone with the word speak for a long time, which, you know, <laughs> it's a great way to lose French. But in, in this, like, you're just sort of going, what what stop being such a twat to everyone. He's such a twat. At one point, he literally tries to kill Kevin Bacon. It's like, what are you doing? He does. <laughs>
4: Uh, Well, for me, it was a video watch as well. And actually, I was thinking back to last week when I was trying to... I didn't really explain why I watched Pretty Woman when I didn't like the sound of it and I didn't like Richard Gere, but it's because Julia Roberts was my fourth ever celebrity crush. So that's why I ended up watching Pretty Woman on video. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Four. And... <laughs> we need to do the first three and also don't say things like that when I'm drinking. <laughs> How have you got a list? Is it laminated? I have so many questions. I just I could I could just I could just pinpoint
4: like the age I was. It was it was Mannequin first, Kim Catral, <laughs> then it was Belinda Carlisle. then it was Kylie Minogue, and then it was Julie Roberts <laughs> before she was, I, I was... over we were overtaken by uh, Sandra Bullock and then Jennifer Lopez. And then yeah. I started having girlfriends.
1: Well, I think we found um, we found the subject for our end of year episode. We need to go through this entire timeline, break, break a show down into where and how these women swap places on your list. I'd love to know the moment Sandra Bullock climbed over Julia Roberts to be your glorious number four. Speed, speed.
4: Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. No, Demolition wild Man, cats. Demolition Man, Go even Demolition cats. Man. Um,
1: oh,
2: okay. huh.
4: So, yeah, so I watched this on video as soon as I could because I liked her and I liked the sound of it and thoroughly enjoyed it, and I haven't really thought about it since at all. So it was interesting revisiting it such a long time later. So should we do the story behind the story?
3: Yeah. Sure.
4: Uh, Peter Falardi, uh was an aspiring screenwriter whose only credit was an episode of MacGyver
1: um started strong uh great he started great like- great credit by the way but i don't know what would macgyver takes guts to write because you have to pick the household item he's going to turn into a deadly weapon and then make it believable <laughs> so let's not underestimate macgyver
4: Oh well, as you as you uh, as you brought it up, I, I do. Have, the episode was called "The Endangered," and uh-huh. in, the, the synopsis was: MacGyver visits an animal preserve to reunite with an old girlfriend who was a park ranger there. Their reunion is complicated by a battle they have with poachers of endangered animals on the preserve.
1: Look at that. There you go. Obviously, Vicky is zoned out because animals. But for me, that's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing right there. On the preserve, there's doubtless a shed full of tools, I would imagine. Yeah, it feels like a bit of an easy setup, you know, because you're cleaning out animal cages. There's going to be rakes. You give MacGyver a rake. That's the end of the episode. (laughs) So in uh,
4: 1988, he started writing flatliners after hearing about a friend who had lain on the operating table technically dead for 90 seconds uh that was what he was told and so uh, a year later he'd come up with the hook stating i think every writer tries to do something new and fresh and the idea for flatliners came about by seeking a new frontier for people of my generation the west had been done space had been pretty well charted and it seemed as if the only frontiers left would come from within ourselves um
3: well there's the sea I mean, he could have gone underwater. Anyway, Well, he could have said nit-picking. the sea's been done because
4: I feel like we've done... Uh, there's been a few sea <laughs> movies as well, hasn't there?
1: Mount, Mount really... <laughs> had, awesome. did you say the Himalayas. I think there are, there are mountains that have still been unexplored in the Himalayas. Even though they're not as big as Everest, they're more treacherous, and that's where the Yeti is.
4: <laughs> uh, so he sent out his finished draft to a few producers and within a week, 10 producers were interested and bidding started at $10,000. And then it all gets a bit weird um, because this caused something of a controversy, the sale of this script. Uh, Scott Rudin, Uber producer who is based at Columbia Pictures, outbid Columbia Pictures by paying $400,000 for the screenplay. So basically, Rudin used his own company to make the bid against Columbia, with whom his own company already had a deal. So uh, this got him in hot water. Uh, The studio accused him of violating his contracts, uh, and they acquired the script from him for the money he paid, $400,000, and um, handed the project off to Michael Douglas, of all people. Uh, who had a production company called Stonebridge Entertainment. um, And it was that company that made the film, although Rudin was listed as um, an executive producer on the project.
1: Not to go too deep into the world of bidding on scripts, because I'm sure there is a finite amount of interest, but why on earth would you bid against your own employer for a script when just to ensure that you were the one making it so they didn't give it to someone else. I've answered my own question. Do carry on. Yes. Yeah, I think that is the answer. Um,
4: The film was then offered to Joel Schumacher, who was coming off the back of hit horror The Lost Boys and flop comedy drama Cousins only one of which will be coming to a Clash pod very soon. Um, and uh, Schumacher took the film because he said it resonated with him. He said, there's always been a tradition of the afterlife in drama and we're living closer to death now, AIDS, drugs, terrorism. Um, and indeed, when he read Flatliner, Schumacher had just come from filming a three-day event for people with various stages of HIV at the Center for Living in New York. Um, and he said there was talk of incomplete business with family and loved ones. All this was ringing in my head when I got back. It seemed fatalistic that I read the script then, uh, which had to do with what I'd just encountered. I think everyone at some time or other ponders the issue of life and death. After all, it's the ultimate secret, but very few of us would be brave or foolish enough to deliberately explore the possibility. Uh, And so in terms of a cast, Schumacher is big, on casting relative unknowns that's his strategy he says that um he looks for actors who haven't happened yet um so the mid-budget films he makes can afford them so obviously there were relatively well-known people uh i guess kevin bacon was the biggest star who got cast in the movie and then uh sutherland but then people like billy baldwin oliver pratt oliver platt and julia roberts obviously hadn't quite made it yet uh, but because they were all of that generation, the fi- it earned the film the nickname "St Elmo's Funeral" because here uh, Schumacher made St <laughs> Elmo's fire. And, it, and I it think it was um,
1: the- it was uh, it was Keith for Sutherland who gave it that nickname, though, wasn't it? It's just I just because I, I want to give him something good before we talk about the bad. Uh, so let's let's give him St Elmo's funeral <laughs> because I think it's quite good. Uh and and while it meant it meant the
4: movie made a fortune for the studio as well, because no one was sort of a name above the title star, uh no one had a back-end deal. So this was a big success and all the money uh went to Columbia. So yeah, it ended up being a pretty good deal for Michael Douglas and his his little company. So um yeah, I don't know if I've got much else about the making of the film. I mean it was it, Filardi um located the screenplay in Boston where he wrote the screenplay and where he went to uni. Uh, But Joel Schumacher scouted Boston and said, I won't make this movie there. I hated the
1: place. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Good. Good. Uh, Boston's lovely, by the way. uh, Sorry, Alex? I love Boston. Have you been to Boston? No, I quite fancy it. It's great. I think it wouldn't work for this movie. Uh, because it doesn't look quite as dystopian as I'm imagining Chicago does. Never been, but based on this film, it looks like the end of the world happened. So uh, if I'm I'm wrong and you are a Chicagoan uh, listening to this, uh, it's Joel Schumacher's fault. And also I'd be happy to visit uh, if you want me to come and stay. What what are you doing, Alex? (laughs) I don't know. I've been on my own too long, Chris, I'll be honest. Uh, It's been a tough week. Uh, I've got a bit of trivia of my own. Um, which is that uh, Kiefer Sutherland and Julia Roberts got together on this movie, and then they were going to get married, but they didn't. She cancelled the wedding days before because of his infidelity. Well, I wasn't going to go into gossip,
4: but didn't she run away to Ireland with Jason Patrick? Isn't that what happened? Oh, now I didn't. I didn't have that on my notes. I, I feel like I remember that's, that's, that's what happened. And then thinking about it this week, it's quite. I guess she was a really big fan of the Lost Boys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, maybe funny. I'll look into that
4: and we can talk uh, about that more when we actually do Lost Boys, which I really, really, really want to do.
1: Um the only other thing I've got is Yanderbont, obviously, being the DOP on this and it's got a lot of Yanderbont. Uh you know, I what a pairing, Yanderbont and Joel Schumacher. It works here, I think. Looks wise. Mm. Yes, it's a very good looking film.
4: Uh shall we talk about it mm. then? Yeah. Sure. Well, we get one hell of an opening, don't we? With the, the sun rising uh, as Kiefer Sutherland looks mean and moody in his trench coat and shades. Um, and, and the camera <laughs> pushes in on him from across the water. <laughs> a bit like the Lost he Boys. Does. Doesn't it feel, didn't it feel to you a little bit like some of those scenes that he pushes in to a little sort of key at the side of a river across the water?
1: I'm going to be honest, is there going to be a lot of Lost Boys chat? Because I've seen it once about 10 years ago. I was drunk and I don't remember much about it. Is it it going to be a touchstone for this film? There's
4: a couple of things where I feel like definitely Schumacher is going back to that well. In fact, I think there's a couple of scenes where it looks like they're just outtakes from the Lost Boys. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. Well, firstly, uh, Vicky's wrong. He does look fucking cool in his coat and his glasses. <laughs> and I, I was watching. About- I, I got, look, I was watching it going, he's cool, he's cool. And then I did remember the famous line from the movie: "Today is a good day to die." And I was thinking, watching it going. I remember him saying that in a really cool circumstance, like to another person. Like it feels like the kind of thing that should be said when someone goes, you're not going to kill yourself, are you? And then you say, like a fucking badass, today's a good day to die. I don't remember him looking out over a fucking body of water at dawn on his fucking own going, today is a good day to die. Imagine if a stranger was walking past and heard you say that (laughs) on your own and was like, Sorry, did you say something? You're like, oh, no, I thought I didn't know you were there. I didn't say anything. They're like, because it sounded like you just said today's a good day to die while looking at the sunrise. You're like, that would sound ridiculous. Why would I do that? Of course, I didn't do that. Because it is so awful when he does that. I liked it. <laughs> i i liked everything about the opening until he goes today is a good day to die and he sort of wraps himself up really warm like really snug just before he does it like it's such a weird moment like he's like all badass standing there and rather have, than have his coat flowing behind him like he sort of pulls the color up and he's like today's a good day to die you're like weird <laughs>
4: It, it's a bit of setup and payoff as well, though, isn't it? Because uh, we have a callback to let that line right at the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, I know, but it doesn't work for me at the end either. Because I get it, like it, like I get the whole sort of circle. It mirrors the start with the end, and you just go, just lose both because the end is fucking awful <laughs> as well. Or it's like, what did he say? He's like, he said, today wasn't a good day to die (laughs) and that's exactly that's exactly how it's delivered in the film (laughs) (laughs) I'd had enough by that but today wasn't a good day to die in the end right it's a different day anyway it's a different day it's not even the same fucking day
4: all right, we're nearly half an hour in. We can't keep talking about the opening line. Uh, so, shall we meet the flat? <laughs> shall we meet the flatliners? Yes, please. Uh, we kick off. Uh, I'm kicking off with Kevin Bacon, who is a cocky maverick who gets suspended.
3: <laughs> he's also. <laughs> I'm sorry, but he's also he's also an abseiler, Uh which we will not pick up <laughs> or deal with. Apart from at one point, he's like, "Don't let go of the rope, man." It's like, "Oh, did you two absail together?" Tell me more about well, yeah, that. Yeah,
1: he-, he gets suspended. What is that? He, he um. You go and tell me because I, I honestly I'm I'm with Vicky. I was like, why is he? What, is this is he at medical school prison? Because he can he not walk out the f- <laughs> can he not walk out the front door when he's been suspended? Does he have to leave by the window? Yeah, t- and then I'm like Vicky, I'm like, I'm like it's so he's a climber, especially when Ke- uh, Kiefer Sutherland goes, hey, why don't you go climb a mountain or something? I'm like, oh, that'll come back. It doesn't.
4: Mm -hmm. No, so he abseils out of his bedroom window rather than taking the stairs to leave his room. Um, But he's also a cocky uh, idiot who gets suspended for operating on a woman uh, before he's medically qualified. Uh, And he's an atheist, which will be... Semi-important, I suppose. Uh, Julia Roberts, I'm going to refer to everyone by their real names as well because I couldn't remember any character names in this film. They didn't make any impression (laughs) on me whatsoever. Uh, So we've got Julia Roberts. um, She's interviewing people who have had near-death experiences. So basically, she's kind and compassionate. That's her character. Uh, Billy Baldwin (laughs) is shagging women in a loft while filming without their consent. Um,
1: He's a perv. That's his character uh yeah that's he's he's too much though like it's a, like mm. he, he's a he's a real problem in this movie like uh, like he spoils the movie, and I remember thinking at the time he's vile, and I was a child, and now I'm just like, yeah, well done, little me' He was vile. You were right. It's like, it's proper Patrick fucking Bateman shit. It's really dark. Like, and everyone else's mistakes throughout this movie, they happen when they're kids. His happened the day of the movie. Like, he did it that morning. It's really like, he's an adult fucking up. Yeah.
3: I think the trouble for me was. I got I forgot about that storyline and, and, and this is my uh, bias because it was the 90s. I was like, oh, is that just going to be like he's a cool guy or something, <laughs> or he's like he's just a little bit cheeky because it's like 1990, and he does get called out on his behavior, and that is brilliant, and it felt really satisfying. But it happened maybe a bit too late because when his friends find out that he's been videotaping people. They don't tell him he's awful. His fiance tells him he's awful like much later on. So it takes a while to get there, and I just got nervous because, like, oh, I don't know where we're... Like, 1990, is this going to be... Yeah, he shouldn't have done it, but he's basically, like, just top shagger. What do you
4: think was happening in in 1990, then?
3: I just think in 1990... Well, (laughs) I mean, we just had Pretty Woman or around that time, and, and we did a decent proposal last week, and so maybe the politics of, like... Sexism weren't as well trammelled as they are now, and you can't. It's not such a leap to make that a a guy character in 1990 would be like, "Oh, I videotape people," and I know it's a little bit naughty, uh, but I'm not a massive sexist. Yeah, but
4: I mean, yeah, fair enough. But I think this, I think this um, film does go a long way to making him a complete villain for doing that.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah.
1: Yes, I don't think he ever. He he doesn't really pay that much of a price for it. It feels like that his punishment is not sufficient for his crime. Yeah, I think I think they definitely Uh,
4: mess up that aspect of it. Um, It looks and it looks quite enjoyable. A couple of his uh, horrible nightmare dreams, sort of.
1: Yeah, I'd say we'll get onto them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Oliver Platt does call him a pussy marauder at one point, which whoa, is, whoa. yeah, that's it's just, it's just not two words I've ever heard together before. And I've heard a lot of words together, but pussy marauder uh, is not one of them. and I, I, And it's not really said as a criticism either it's sort of like, no it's not exactly uh,
3: that's it that's his friend saying oh no, that's who you are yeah. and we accept you for who you are and we say things like pussy marauder and no one's like oh <laughs> i just i
1: i i mean i I'd, I'd, I'd be upset if someone were you maraud pussies like what is that <laughs> all right stop saying it, alex please
3: <laughs>
4: stop saying it
1: please stop saying it <laughs> okay. this
4: is like that thing you said the other kept saying the other day that we had to cut out <laughs> 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 I,
1: I i think back i think that was a mistake we should have left that in we should,
4: um, you mentioned Oliver Platt, though, and a bit like Indecent Proposal, he's basically here to provide uh, comic relief, which the film desperately needs. Um, and his sin <laughs> uh, seems to be that he once stole his babysitter's sandwich, although we never actually get to find out. Uh, and then finally, Keith Sutherland, who we have mentioned, um, he wants to succeed where science and religion and philosophy have failed by figuring out the answers to death and life. He's got a God complex and he says pretentious things like it's ignorance we fear. When did truth and knowledge become a horror? <laughs>
3: speak in a pretend clever way which I find really jarring so Oliver Platt is especially guilty of it but there's he's got a bit of a monologue later about the did we love too much and live too well and die too fast or whatever it is and it's this sort of pretend intelligent like and I suppose again my bias I forgot that Keith Sutherland is meant to be a smarty pants in this and I I don't really buy him as like the professor dude Mm. I just don't Mm.
1: yeah They all have incredible apartments is one thing I noticed. Uh, Just wow. Like Kiefer Sutherland appears Mm. to live in the Jamariquai video Virtual Insanity. It's just this huge (laughs) white room. It's amazing.
3: Well, should we, That's should a we good talk? reference to get the youth. Good one, Alex. Well done. Oh, cause it, there we uh, are hitting those markets. It, uh, it
1: had a lot of um. Uh, are they views or hits on the YouTube? And so I figured that some of those children, it, they must be children watching be it. Yeah, those children must be kids on the YouTube.
4: <laughs> well uh since you bring up the the sets let's talk a bit about the visuals then because I, I I read somewhere it was dubbed MTV Gothic and and right from the offset we've got stone statues and gargoyles and dramatic choral music and then they they're studying their cadavers in in sort of a church surrounded by yep. renaissance paintings Yeah um and so, yeah, it's just completely the opposite of what you'd expect uh, these um, places to look like, these classrooms and these um, hospital rooms. Uh, yeah. That was all Joel Schumacher. He he believed that um, this aesthetic would help audiences suspend disbelief and make the movie uh more cinematic he said this is science fiction not fact the medical processes are fact and accurate not sure that's true joel uh, but i thought audiences <laughs> would get bored if we we're in little white rooms the great american universities are so gothic and european i wanted it to be sexy i wanted to give it a sharp ironic edge because if you screw with death it screws you back the purpose of Flatline is, is to give you a visual and visceral experience that you haven't had before in a movie um I mean,
1: uh, the dissection and it is. memorable. Scene, yeah, it's memorable. Yes. But having. having yeah, because I actually. When I was at medical school, uh, I know I've claimed a lot of things based on my one year at medical school, but I promise this is true. Uh, I did dissect a cadaver, <laughs> and it's the, the way it's done here at no point. I mean. As far as I'm concerned, like William Baldwin using the penis of a cadaver as a chat up line to Julia Roberts is not something that <laughs> you'd ever ever find happening. Dare I say, in the real world, uh, let alone in this movie. And uh, full respect to Julia Roberts, I, she has a hard time because she's the only sort of female lead in this. And um, and by twenty minutes. Kiefer Sutherland, William Baldwin, and Kevin Bacon have all hit on her, which is quite incredible Mm. uh, in this film.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Stakhanov's brand-new show, My 7 Wonders with Clive Anderson, launches this Wednesday. Clive will be quizzing some of the world's most interesting celebrities, including Griff Rhys-Jones and Shappy Cosandy, about their own personal Seven Wonders of the World. Join Clive and his first guest, Dara O'Brien, this Wednesday. Dara talks to Clive about his love for the Irish sport hurling and some of the extra benefits that come with owning a hurley stick.
1: It's just pleasant to have a big stick in the house every so often. For home security, it's always nice to know that I have an arsenal uh, if I need it. I'll bear that in mind if I'm tempted to burgle your house in the middle of the night. Just do it. Honestly, that's
0: how I stand. I stand (laughs) naked with my Irish testicles dangling. (laughs) Challenging people.
2: They discuss finding humour in quantum physics. It's like saying, is the cat dead or not? Would
0: somebody just open the box? Would somebody just open the box? (laughs)
2: discovering new passions during lockdown lockdown ran a schism essentially between the young comics who immediately went i must learn new skills i must learn video editing of tiktok and i must find new ways to bring my comics to people and the older comics went their retirement's gonna be all right (laughs) (laughs) actually the guy (laughs) turns out you know it's not too bad search my seven wonders with clive anderson on your favorite podcast player to hear the first episode this wednesday my seven wonders with clive anderson is a stakhanov production
4: So let's talk about the first flat line and it's Kiefer, uh, who goes under. He, uh, he wants to, once his brain dies, he wants them to keep him under for 60 seconds and then, uh, defibrillate him to bring him back to life. Um, and he gives them all a letter absolving them of responsibility.
3: <laughs> That's one of my favourite bits. We don't even get to see the letter. He's like, but this letter absolves you of any responsibility. And everyone's like, oh, oh, great. Oh, great. We've got a letter. They're fine. I'm <laughs> sure in court. we would be like, oh, no, but he gave us... Sorry, we haven't been clear. He gave us a letter. So
1: <laughs> <it's fine." laughs> Do any of them even read it? It could say anything. It, 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 it could be like... I was murdered by these d- <laughs> dickheads. That is the sort of thing his character would do in this. <laughs> yeah. And from beyond the grave, really fuck up their lives.
3: Oh, there's a film. Write that down.
4: Uh, And he he reveals that he's doing it because he wants to be on 60 Minutes, that fame is inevitable and fame and money is what he's after, which is kind of one of the themes that they wanted to put into the screenplay about uh, the same kind of materialism that we talked about on last week's show as well. This was sort of something that a lot of films seem to touch upon as we came out of the
1: 1980s. It's weird, isn't it, though? There's no way of having a character say that. Like, I really feel that should be... I don't know if it is here, but that should be introduced by someone else. And the character goes, No, no, it's not that. But you know, really, it is. Having a character going, Yes, my fame will be inevitable as a result of this is like, What a dickhead. Like, mm. it's just, you can't write people. I mean, maybe, maybe it was of the time. Uh, so we see
4: what he sees uh, when he's under. Um, which, as I said, looks a bit like B-roll from The Lost Boys. But we've got three kids running through a beautiful field and then it all turns dark and then there's a dog barking and then there's a creepy kid in a corridor. And then he wakes up because they're not going to show us too much uh, initially, but he starts spouting on about how he feels like a highly tuned instrument now and can hear the hum of the streetlights. Um, So something's come back with him and he starts seeing uh, a dog, a dog champ whimpering down a neon-lit Horror Alleyway not just any alleyway I, it's a
1: horror alleyway Can I can I, can I ask uh, two things First of all that alleyway um literally looks like Joel Schumacher is doing a dry run for every set in Batman and Robin It's like <laughs> hey Neon this neon is really good I'm going to use that in the Hall of Batman and Robin Also in that Why are you doing that accent <laughs> That's Joel Schumacher's accent. Have you never heard have you never heard him speak? That's definitely how he he's, how he
4: speaks. He's American.
1: <laughs> is that your
4: American accent?
1: <laughs> uh, is that did that not convince? I thought it was sort of like a I kind of that felt like an East Coast accent to you're me. Jan de, bonk, nope. de maybe, but that ain't no Schumacher, mate. <laughs> All right, well, listen, more importantly than Joel Schumacher's very accurate accent that I just did, um, the dog, when it appears, is it wearing a dog nappy? (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about?
3: No, it's a fair question because I thought it was, yes. Right,
1: right. Because it, so it. it's got it's got something around its bottom half. It looks like yeah. toweling that has sort of come undone like an old you know when you like some like if you can't afford Pampers like like my mum used to put a towel round like a washable towel around my little brother as his nappy because she she'd blown all the money on me I was a demanding firstborn. <laughs> but no, like sweet, so it no, looks... that's
3: just a this you, you I, I just want to explore the myth that you were, <laughs> that your mum was neglecting your brother somehow. That's just a, a terry towel nappy. It's fine. Like, there's still a thing. Oh, Maybe okay. she blew the household budget on luxury pampers for you, but what she, she did. did for your brother wasn't like just grabbing <laughs> the hand towel from the bathroom. <laughs> it's a normal thing to do. You were raised normally. I want you to let this go. <laughs> All
1: right. Good. Good. Is it a dog nappy though? <laughs> well, you're you're our dog expert. You're our dog expert. Yeah. You tell us, Alex. All right. Well, all, the only thing I could come up with, if it isn't a dog nappy, it looks like the dog was like dressed as the mummy for Halloween and it's partially taken off its costume, but it hasn't finished unwrapping its bottom half. So a dog nappy <laughs> That's is what the it more is. natural answer. That's what it what, is. What, what's, it's covered in something like... It's bandages. I'm,
3: I'm, oh, I forgot to say it's bandages. Because what? When the tree falls on it at the end, so now it lives in purgatory or it lives in heaven, and it's had a bandage. So it, I don't know because <laughs> it got injured. <laughs> so looks like heaven doesn't sort your injuries out in any way if you're a dog. So why yes, is Bi- have bandages? Why, why is Billy Mahoney? is
1: because is there so there's preferential treatment for humans because Billy Mahoney doesn't have any bandages on him.
3: Yeah. It's true, yeah. Well, there you go. Yes, there is preferential for hu- treatment for humans in heaven confirmed now. Finally,
1: yeah. Oh, you bet you love that, don't you?
3: It's the, it's the natural. <laughs> way. It's, the, it's the way things <laughs> should be. Why should a dog get treatment? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that's bait. <laughs> 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 let's let's get on to the second flat line. Uh, <laughs> enough of this dog. That's enough enough champ talk.
4: Um so they all want to go under next day. They enter into a bidding war with their lives. Um would you go under either
1: of you guys, Alex? Yeah. Definitely.
3: Yeah, I think I would. I mean, not in the wow. hands of these fucking idiots, but um, <laughs> Yeah, this that's yeah. I don't know if it was such a but maybe this film is what like, you know, brought it into the like uh, conscious, like more mainstream like consciousness. But it's it feels like quite a oh, I'm gonna say easy thing to do. Is that awful? Like I'm not a doctor, but Keith the is like, I've had this amazing idea. And all he's really had is an idea. And he's like, You can't do this without me. And it's like, definitely can. Could do it. It feels like you could do it with any doctor. <laughs> I know that's awful. But I would I don't I wouldn't volunteer for it because I'd be too shit scared. But if it happened. And I had that experience. I wouldn't regret having had that experience. Do you know? Like, can you see the difference?
1: It's not going to happen accidentally, though, is it? You have to be quite proactive in this. I don't think.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think you
1: sort of go. If I was at a party and I was a bit drunk and someone killed me for a bit and then brought me back and I, it happened and I sort of was like, oh, all right. I think people would go. I'm just checking. I mean, because I, I definitely do it, and I'd give you both letters that uh, I'd ask you not not to read until perhaps I'd accidentally died and then open them in court for the first time and they will definitely absolve you of any responsibility, I promise. I, I was thinking about this. I'm not
4: sure what I'd do because I'm very competitive, so I might get into this bidding war, but I'm also quite a careful person. So I decided that I think the only way I'd end up doing this is after a few beers and then I definitely would. LAUGHTER
1: <laughs> but you'd open too big. People would be like, two minutes twenty. And you'd be like, an hour. I'd do it for an hour. <laughs> People like, but you'd you'd just be dead, Chris. Two hours then. You're bidding against yourself. Uh no, no more beer. for this Oh, kill me for a day, I could take it.
4: <laughs> and that's that's how I'd talk as well. Um and so uh Billy Baldwin, um, the Pussy Marauder decides to go under for one minute thirty seconds and um yeah his is a strange one we see him kind of being born in black and white and then growing up ogling women there's lots of breasts in his nightmare um it looks like a prequel to sliver if you've ever seen sliver with the black and white imagery of of voyeurism Mm. it's almost like a dry run for for what he did a few years later in that but his, his nightmare is sort of women flirting with him which doesn't seem
1: that bad yeah, I mean, he makes the mistake, though, um, of just before he goes under, uh, he calls his fiance. And now for a cheating pussy marauder, he really hasn't got game in this department because he literally just rings her and goes, hey, how are you doing? Listen, if anything happens to me, <laughs> uh, in fact, forget that nothing's going to happen. I'm definitely not going to kill myself today. So she immediately goes, I'm probably going to come down and just check you're all right. Because he, he sets himself up for a fall. He doesn't need to make that call. And he certainly doesn't need to be so shit at lying to someone he's cheating on with 200 women. <laughs> <200
3: million. laughs> it might be. Uh, There's
1: a lot of cassettes, a lot of cassettes on that shelf. Yeah.
4: <laughs> so uh, when he comes back, the group sort of starts to break apart now because Kiefer's getting upset. He wants all the credit. Kevin Bacon isn't buying any of it. He's the, he's the skeptic. Um, and then they're arguing with each other about who gets to go uh, next. Um, and then Kiefer has another vision. Um, he keeps seeing Champ the dog and he sees a bag lady And what she says to him is what Joel Schumacher believes to be the film's key line. Uh, She says, in the end, we all know what we've done. Um, And then he gets uh, beaten up by the kid that he bullied, Billy Mahoney. Um, And it's kind of, it all becomes quite real now because it's not in his head because he has to give himself stitches. He's getting physically injured by these visions. Uh, And at the same time, Billy uh, Baldwin starts seeing tapes of himself on the TV members of his video library are sort of now talking to him.
1: Yeah, I mean, comparatively speaking, getting the shit beaten out of you by a hoodie with a hockey stick versus watching yourself doing it that you filmed in the first place, it's like he gets off lightly, does Billy Baldwin. The point when he actually sees it for the first time in the common room of his student union, I'm guessing, and it appears on the TV, doesn't even get up to try and turn it off, just sort of goes... (laughs) Look at me,, he stud. Does, he? Yeah. yeah, no <laughs> yeah. shame or anything it 's like, how is this bad? <laughs> uh,
4: we also have a slow motion Halloween party around a bonfire um, yeah. <laughs> outside the school, which the only thing that was missing really was a greased up sort of topless um, saxophone man it's this again yeah. this this all feels quite uh lost, boys, but it's Joel Schumacher, isn't it? He, he, he chucks these MTV sort of music videos into his films to, to, to be down with the youth, as it were. Um, and then we're on to the third flatline. Um, the bidding war continues. Uh, Bacon wants to do uh, two minutes, 20 seconds now. And, and he travels <laughs> back through his own memories uh, in a scene that's quite reminiscent of Zarkov in Flash Gordon, which we did recently. Um, <laughs> and then he's on a, he's on a train, uh, and there's chanting and there's this little girl and something bad has happened and they have trouble bringing him back so he ends up for a minute and a half longer
1: than he wanted to be uh down for it's, it's not trouble is it it's Kiefer for Sutherland being a knobber going mm. going let's keep him down longer another 20 seconds i'm not going to help you bring him back and it's like what is what's, this, what's this happening
3: why are you, what, tell you when did what, you um, ruin the time the timing of it for me you know i've gone a bit uh crackers during lockdown and i've been obsessed with that netflix documentary about death called surviving death so the first one of those a woman has a near-death experience she was kayaking in a white water something with friends and she went over the wrong waterfall (laughs) and she was stuck under a rock and she was dead and her friends couldn't they just couldn't get to her to bring her up so she was trapped under a rock she was drowning then she was dead and so by the time they could get to her body she'd been underwater for 15 minutes so when they went together, they were like, "We are retrieving her body for her husband because he would like that." This is dreadful, whatever. Then they got her out, and then someone was like, "No, she's still there," and then brought her back to life. But she was dead for fifteen minutes, and now she's fine. She did have a uh, an experience. So. Sixteen minutes.
1: I'll do sixteen minutes.
3: <laughs> That's what I mean. So because I've just seen that as like a minute and a half, pff, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah but most people and who, who are brain
4: most people who are brain dead for that amount of time um do not come back and be normal like you know I'm yeah list. so that that i think that was a one-off what you've watched in that documentary this is more as is this this is unrealistic these people would be in a <laughs> yeah. vegetative state if they came back yeah uh, it's not
3: a very balanced documentary it's really good but it's not like showing all the sides of it you've just got this woman who did it for 15 minutes and that's kind of it
1: um, and they are doing near death experience experiments now. I guess this is more relevant for the Jacob's ladder episode, but I'll just drop it in now as a little taster. They are doing experiments, and DMT is what they're using a lot in these experiments, uh, research that they're doing into what a near death experience is like. So I guess what, if they did this movie now, I know they made a remake, it's got 4% on Rotten Tomatoes, life's too short. But the whole idea of like, Experimenting with what is beyond death is being done with um with uh, with DMT. I don't know whether either I mean, I know this this feels like something you'd want to talk about, Victoria.
3: <laughs> Are you asking me if I would take DMT?
1: <laughs> I have never taken DMT. I've taken a DMT equivalent, um, and it's very interesting. Um but but let's talk about it with Jacob Slider. Okay. Um, you've got to suspend your
4: disbelief for what's happening, but also none of them properly share their experience with each other um, because the whole film seems to be predicated on them not talking to each other about what's going on. So I found that a little bit frustrating at this point, um, all keeping secrets from each other, because um, uh, Kevin Bacon's um, vision comes and sort of haunts him on a train. I think he's called Labraccio in the film, and the little girl starts calling him Falatio and talks him with a... a uh, series of cruel names
1: it's brilliant she goes shit face turned, ass licking son of a bitch which i know because it's the start to um carter usm suppose you gave a funeral on the <laughs> 1992 <laughs> love album which was one of my favorite songs and i was like i i've heard that i had to look it up i didn't know it off the top of my head truth are you a big carter fan alex Fucking love Carter. 101 yeah. Damnations was one of the first albums. I lost my shit. To. And then 30-something. And then 1992 the the Love Album. After that, um, I kind of stopped. I have a very embarrassing story about meeting Jim Bob once. So I'm not going to tell you because I don't come out of it very well. Uh, I went <laughs> to see them on my own at Brixton Academy. Oh, look, I'm telling it. I went to see them on my <laughs> own at Brixton Academy. And I got kind of annoyed. And I drank a lot of rum and... Uh, and they didn't play the songs I wanted them to play, and I had no one there to go, she's just been a dick, it's fine. And then I was in the bar, and I was going, can't believe they didn't play that, can't believe they didn't play that. And as someone went, this is Jim Bob standing next to you, and I'm like, cool, fuck, oh, no.
4: So it was really embarrassing. Who were you saying that to if you were on your own? Were you just shouting it at like, the, the mirror? <laughs>
1: Uh, no, I was kind of like someone went. Oh, I'm just someone you should meet, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just not in the mood because of this. And the someone I should have met was was Jim Bob from from Carter USM. And it's the <laughs> first time I'd I'd have met one of my idols, and I I'd just spent five minutes drink having drunk too much rum, going they, he they just what was that set about? So yeah, it was uh, not a great moment for me. Well, Alex, you will be pleased to know I interviewed one
4: of my first ever interviews was Fruit Bat from Carter. Uh, for the Crystal Palace Match Day program. And he's a very nice man.
3: <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was really lovely. Yeah.
4: Um, oh, and he mentioned cool. you, actually. Did
1: you? <laughs>
3: he mentioned
4: what a <laughs> dick you
1: were. <laughs> Shut up. Um, now, tell me, tell me this. Uh, were you a Carter fan as well? No. Oh. <laughs> okay. That just sounded like that's where it, we were going. Oh, no. Alex, were you a Carter fan? Oh, I I interviewed Fruitbat. Are you a Carter fan? Absolutely not. No. Don't dig him at all. Uh, Victoria, Carter. <laughs> just that uh just the, the only living boy in New Cross. Song yeah, good That's, it. that's a cheat.
4: <laughs> that's a cheat. Oh, yeah. uh, back yep. to Fat Lines. So um, yep. we also now get the movie's most horrific moment. Um, which is uh Billy Mahoney spitting a big ball of flob onto Kiefer Sutherland's face.
3: Yeah, it's bad. So,
1: awful. Yeah, awful. made me feel a bit sick.
4: Yep. Awful. Yeah, me too. Awful. All right, fourth flatline. Um, uh, Kiefer wants to go back under. He bids five minutes, but everyone seems to want Julia Roberts to go under. It's her turn. America's sweetheart's going to go under. Um, Because <sighs> uh, she, she's lost people who are close to her and wants to make sure they've gone to a good place. She's doing it for a good reason. Um, And she dies, and then they start arguing about how long she should be under while she's under. <laughs> um, and she sees you know a really heartbreaking vision Her dad coming home from war and he's clearly uh, suffering from post-traumatic stress um, he kills himself and she feels responsible we 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 don't we aren't really shown all of this scene um, but then she's she's under she's under too long and um, they start arguing with each other Kevin Bacon starts opening them up to what he's seen and they all start talking to each other finally so we can get to the point Um, Kiefer explains who Billy Mahoney is and um, he sort of realises that their sins are coming back physically and they're pissed um, although he's using the American meaning of pissed and not the English version, which would be a much more interesting
1: film. <laughs> oh, <laughs> B- Billy Mahoney wobbling along. You fucking killed me in that tree, you fucking mug. <laughs> uh, and we actually flash back to
4: uh, Billy Mahoney in the tree and he's wearing a red hoodie. And I know we talk about yeah. this film a lot, but um, it feels like a Don't Look Now reference. Yeah. Um,
3: it is a Don't Look Now reference. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> yeah,
4: uh, Schumacher says it isn't. Well, I'll tell you what he says, because I mean, I- I kind of believe this. He said that the original costume uh, worn by that character was dark, but it blended into the backgrounds. So he wanted a bright uh, costume. And so they picked that coat as it stood out. But he said, having thought about it a lot, I'm sure it was somewhere in the recess of my mind, my burnt out brain, as they both feature spiritual and physical karma and both feature scaffolding. <laughs> 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 I like Joel Schumacher. He's so funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> um and so yeah the horrors are sort of building and building for all of them are uh, culminating in Billy Baldwin's fiance played by Hope Davis finding his videos and confronting him and leaving him although I don't know about you guys she seems pretty chill about the whole thing.
3: Yeah, I think she I like what she says to him and she's like it's not even that you've slept with all these women it's that they trusted you Billy not called Billy. Um And that is a good, I like that she says that because you have to hammer home what he's done wrong in order for his punishment, which is a bit weak to work. But maybe she could just do with a bit of a longer scene where she's like, I am actually very pissed off about everything you've done and those women trusted you. Because otherwise she's quite like -like. saint-like.
1: I mean, first of all, uh, he's an idiot. If you're going to like have a fiance in film women, do, don't label loads of cassettes with women's names and leave them next to your bed. Like, that's stupid, uh, first of all. <laughs> and really, do you think what she says is good? I don't. I mean, I do think the whole trusting is fine, but it's the opening gambit where she goes, uh, if, "If, if you'd cared for those women... I could have dealt with it.
3: Oh, no, I forgot about that. That's like, clearly, like, ridiculous.
1: <laughs> could you? So you'd still be getting married. It's like, did did they consent? They did. That's fine. That's fine. I'm into it, actually. <laughs> Rubbish. Gina <laughs> um, yeah, Roberts,
3: uh,
4: Generous and sweet and compassionate, Gina Roberts does a weird thing now as well. She tries to tell an old <laughs> lady know. not to die. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, know it's so she I right. wanted to tell her. I had to tell her. She says I was wrong or everything's awful. It's like she's dying. She's going to die. What are you gonna say to it? Oh once you're back out there? It's dangerous out there, love. Mm. It's, it's Team how.
1: America. It's Team America. Promise me you will never die. I promise I will never
4: die. <laughs> um, and Kevin Bacon confronts the the girl now now woman who he uh, who he bullied. Although that feels like he's doing it more for him than her. Really, she even tells him don't dredge yeah. up all that stuff. But he just keeps going. Yep. (laughs) Um, but he he gets his forgiveness because this film is ultimately all about atonement but sort of the twist with Kiefer Sutherland's story is he didn't just bully this kid um he actually put him in the ground he killed him the the kid fell out of a tree Mm. and died um Mm. Oliver Platt says it was an accident but they threw rocks at him
3: they threw rocks at him knocked him him out of a tree (laughs) yeah straight up murdered him no way I wasn't I mean like I just couldn't do it. I felt so sorry for Billy. And Kiefer was like, oh, but I deserve to live. It was an accident. I'm not saying you deserve to die, but it definitely was not an accident.
1: Yeah, and also Kiefer Sutherland is so much of a dick by this point. You can't then do a switcheroo and go, oh, but, oh, you went to Borstal. Oh, so you paid your dues, Kiefer. That also explains why you're such a dick. Doesn't. Now, my question is this. This whole thing of atonement. So if... Kevin Bacon hadn't killed himself for two and a half minutes and then come back, Mm. would he ever have apologized to Winnie Hicks, who he bullied in school? Like what is this idea that like you're having to atone for your sins because you've died for two and a half minutes? Like the only time you'd normally see that and perhaps be reminded of your sins is when you actually actually die where you're not coming back no one's bringing you back to life you're dead and how do you atone for your sins then if Winnie Hicks is still alive well I don't
4: think it's as simple as atoning for your sins I think it's what the, this is what these people are carrying around this is what they feel guilt for because mm-hmm. um, because of Julia Roberts character she doesn't do anything wrong because she realizes that her father was cooking heroin up in the bathroom the PTSD had led to a drug addiction and that's why he killed herself she thought it was because she'd um, something that she'd done, and when she realised it wasn't something she'd done, it was something she could let go. So I think it's less atoning for sins and more, um, f- sort of forgiving yourself or f- finding a way to forgive yourself for stuff that's happened in the past.
1: Right. So when, so let's imagine Kevin Kevin Bacon dies, and he he he's reminded of like the fact he bullied Winnie Hicks at school. Then, then this is him really dying. So what happens then? I think he he carries
4: that guilt with him into purgatory or wherever he's going to.
1: Okay. And then in purgatory, he finds a way of dealing with it. I mean, I don't know, so, Alex. So, I, I don't know. Exactly, because my point is that this doesn't make any fucking sense, the end of this movie. It basically sets up that Kevin Bacon apologizes to her in the real world because she's still alive, but Kiefer Sutherland can't because she, like, Billy Mahoney is dead, so he can go into the afterlife or whatever it is and then apologize to Billy Mahoney there. But like, Kevin Bacon couldn't have done that if it was him really dying. It, it's, it annoys me at the end of this film. I think you understand the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, and,
4: and let's get into the ending because we've got the uh, the fifth flatline, which is the finale. And it's, you know, Kiefer Southern decides that um, to atone, he's going to flatline without them uh either to apologize to billy mahoney or or to kill himself and so it's kind of a race against time to stop him as if we're supposed to want them to stop him i think that's what the film is trying uh to, to 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 get from us as an audience but i certainly didn't feel that i would have been more than happy for him to die and i think the film might have worked better if he died actually
3: And also, why does he need to... There's no difference between, just to be clear, there's no difference between flatlining and being dead. So what he's saying is, I want to be dead. It's not like flatlining is like, oh, it's a different state where you're kind of dead, but you can be brought back more easily. You just are dead. So he he just wants to kill himself. So why does he need to get on a gurney and put his blanket on and do all he does? Why does he not just do the quickest, easiest thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he's too egotistical to really want to die. I mean, that's why he rings Julia Roberts, isn't it? Because he rings her and it's basically like, I'm going to kill myself. And in the meantime, I think she's hooked up with Kevin Bacon off camera because they're in bed together now. <laughs> that's never yeah. really explained. It's like, yeah. all right, cool. Uh, so he rings her up and goes, I'm going to kill myself. And she's like, tell me where you are. And you're like, what the... The fucking dystopian museum, obviously. That's where everyone's (laughs) been killing themselves. What do you mean, where am I? And then, even though he tells her first, she's the last to turn up, she's busy doing other things, everyone else gets there pretty sharpish, he calls her and she's like, oh, you're already here. I just, sorry, i just it's busy on the traffic.
4: I think it's kind of his hubris, though, that makes him want to kill himself in this way. Uh, You know, the way he's been doing these experiments. I think it's all tied into him you know, wanted to make a name for himself, even if it's after his his death. But um, we we got the call back to Bacon be, being told Bacon's an atheist because he starts um talking to God now um and <laughs> ap- apologising <laughs> for stepping into God's territory while he's looking at one of these big paintings.
3: Have you uh, ever done that in your life? Because it's something you see in films, you know, like entreating the skies, what did I do? Or help or whatever. Have you ever in your life yelled at the sky like, Look at me now, God, whatever, <laughs> because it's just one of those things that happens in films a lot and I've never seen anyone do it.
1: The second one, I've done the second one. Look at me now, hey, Dad, God, yeah, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's, it's true. And,
4: and so this is our this is our finale. This is supposed to be our victory. We we we. Um, K- Kiefer Sutherland is brought back. Our, our supposed hero. He whispers that it wasn't such a good day to die, and the film just kind of ends.
3: <laughs> Roll credits. That's it. Yeah. We're yeah.
1: out. Yeah. <laughs>
4: so yeah, that's flatline. Is there any more for any more, or should we do our bits?
1: <laughs> Today wasn't such a good day to die.
4: Exactly. <laughs> to <grow up>. Exactly. <laughs> I'm done. No, I'm done. All right. So, um, let's do the bits. Uh, uh, Victoria, what was your favourite scene?
3: Uh, when Keith Sutherland gets the shit kicked out of him by a child. <laughs>
4: because,
3: <laughs> only because it's very, uh, it's not at all what you would expect to see. And the, the child seems to be winning. And I know there's a lot of like, well, Keith Sutherland does, does think he's a real child. He's like, hey, little guy, what are you doing down here? So he doesn't want to hit a kid. But then when it's like, oh, you might fight back, it's clear that Billy Mahoney is stronger than him. So it's like the jarring of that was um, quite impactful.
1: Good choice. Alex, favourite scene? Uh, The little kid beating the shit out of Kiefer Sutherland. A hundred percent, that is what I have written down. Not for all the reasons Victoria just said, and also because, like, it's really well done. Like, sometimes you see, like, a punch from a kid in a film and you're like, eh, I could take that. Or at least I am, because obviously I'm, I'm quite hard from all the cage fighting. But... um, like in this, like you really feel those punches. Like when he whacks him, you're like, "I bet that fucking hurt." So I think it's really good.
4: I think they're great. Uh, mine is when the little girl calls Kevin Bacon butt wipe shit face needle dick cock bite jack ship butt wad cornhole banana breath shit bird cry baby jack off kiss ass brown nose limp dick fart face rat turd ass licking son of a bitch
1: son of a bitch. <laughs> it's great, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex MVW. Um, Well, I said at the start, as a kid, I was all about Kiefer. um, Had the fake glasses, had the coat, um, watching it this time. What a dick. So uh, I'm going for one of my favourite actors now. We haven't really talked about him because he has almost shit all to do apart from make this slightly funny. He's almost as good here as he is in Lake Placid. It's Oliver Platt. (laughs) (laughs) Good choice. But I I feel I need to defend Kiefer Sutherland here. It's not like Kiefer Sutherland's acting
4: bad. He's supposed to be playing a dick. So you're not happy to see yeah, Keith Sutherland beat it up. It's the
1: character, isn't it? I mean, Keith Sutherland's quite oh, good yeah. in this film. He's great in this film. Okay. I mean, he's all right in this film. He's not great in this film. I actually wrote a list of uh, the performances in order of how good they are in this film. Uh, so, yeah, um, he's, he's not he's not at the bottom of that list. Okay. <laughs> uh, Victoria?
3: I I don't think any of the cast are especially brilliant in it. So I'm going to have to pick The Church. <laughs> um, just because I think it's the most striking thing about this film, even though I forgot it completely from the first time round. I like all the fine art. I like the unexplained major incident outside. Um, I like the, <laughs> sunk, the massive sunken head. Uh, I like Kevin Bacon screaming at the heavens. Uh, so The Church...
1: It's a museum, isn't it? It's I not don't a know. church I
3: don't know I'm fucking pretty idea. sure.
1: I don't think you'd have a sculpture which was made of like two hundred rubber gloves. In a church.
3: I thought they'd done that just for, like, shits and giggles. Like, (laughs) look at us. We're so crazy. That's honestly what I thought. And I did think it was a church. And now you've said it, it's definitely a museum. It's definitely a museum. That's that's brilliant. Well done, Vicky. So that's the second time I've seen this film. (laughs) And the first time I forgot about it. And second time I thought, I 100% thought it was a church the whole way through.
1: The The classic 100%.
4: the classical lakeside architecture of Loyola University at Jesuit College was used along with the imposing exterior of Taft building, the Museum of Science and Industry. Map paintings produced by one of the last journeymen of the craft and set dressing added to the Gothic feel. I'm kind of with you, though, uh, Vicky. I, I like Kevin Bacon's mullet. I'm a big fan of <laughs> yeah. that, but I think I'm, I'm giving it to sort of Yander Bont and Joel Schumacher together because I think it's hard to say who really has the final say in a lot of this stuff, but the film looks amazing. I think I love the Gothic architecture. I love, um, I love the sort of the, the vision of dreams as well. I think they do a really good job of of bringing dreams and nightmares to life in this film, which isn't the easiest thing to do, um, So, yeah, I'm going for DeBont and Schumacher. And Victoria, uh, what would you change if you could change anything?
3: So there's quite a few. I will pick one, though. So as we said, Oliver Platt, very one-dimensional. So he's wary, then surprised. Uh, So I'd change that. And then why we don't see Kevin Bacon and Julia Roberts even kiss is weird because it's it's there all the way through, like they're going to get together and then you don't see it, which seems like a bit of a waste of those two. But the biggest thing I would do is drip feed throughout the flashbacks or Kevin, sorry, Keith Sutherland's like visions, the backstory as to why he's the sort of kid that would throw rocks at another kid so that at first we judge him very harshly for what he did to Billy because it just seems like straight up bully and awful. But then by the time... He's on the slab in the church museum and his friends are saying you deserve to live. We know the full story and we know that Keith Sutherland had a hard time himself as a kid which would prompt him to bully another child and so we feel sorry for him and we can see that it was an accident and it's not really his fault and yes he deserves to live.
1: What kind of uh, circumstance do you think you'd have to what kind of circumstance do you think you'd have to have? As a kid that would justify throwing rocks at another kid.
3: Well, the easiest thing would be he has Mm. an older brother who bullies him. So then he's the younger brother. He takes out his aggression and his rage and his feelings of being humiliated on a child that's smaller than him because that's what happens to him at home. That's like standard stuff.
1: Nice, yeah. Oh, he wants All that right. red
3: coat. Whatever, he's jealous of his jacket. Give me the fucking jacket, no, whatever.
1: No, We're just no, some. I like the first one. The second one seems. That I'm not convinced. He, he really, <laughs> but he really wanted the red hoodie. So that's that's a rock throwing. That's a rock throwing excuse right there. And they they yeah. they find pictures of him as a kid being handed a blue hoodie by his mum. Yeah, and it's like, ah, oh, no wonder he wanted that red hoodie yeah.
3: so badly. Yes, you deserve yep, to live. You deserve to live,
1: Alex. I'd change a lot, too, uh, but within the confines of what could be realistically improved, I'd lose Billy Baldwin's character and story altogether because he's just a gross sleaze. Um, get rid of the pussy marauder. Um, his sins are those of an adult, not a child, and his payoff being lectured by his fiance is weak uh then i'd make keifer and kevin have actual different sins because the fact that they're both bullies is stupid and in a film mm. that already feels repetitive like really hammers home that repetitiveness you're like oh my god so they've both done the same thing um here's an idea you set kevin up as a mountain climber Maybe follow through on that <laughs> Like he had a touching the void moment Where he had to cut his climbing partner loose Because he was scared or something And now his climbing partner is in a wheelchair And so he has to go and make his peace with him Anything really to do with him Sailing out of a fucking window, you know <laughs> So uh, something like that Maybe that's what I'd do But certainly not have them both bully other kids It's stupid
3: Yeah,
4: Yeah, yeah mine was the same actually, Alex Um I suggested maybe having something that works within the narrative, like make Kevin Bacon's actions racially motivated, and have one of their crew be African American, or have one of them cheat on a medical exam—that was his sin—and then won a grant that maybe one of the others missed out on. Just something, anything other than bullying, because it's just bizarre mm. that you would have the same sin for two people, especially when there's yeah. only three actual sins in it. Two thirds of the sins are bullying. Not
3: oh, bullying. <laughs> <laughs>
4: you
1: could have had anything, absolutely anything. <laughs> You know, get, like get, let, let's see Oliver Platt eat a sandwich he wasn't meant to. At least that's variation. <laughs> right, done. That is the end of Flatliners. Um, are we having a quiz, Chris? Yes, we're having a quiz because we've just
4: discussed... This might be in bad taste this week. Um, I hope oh. it is. We've just discussed a film that's about life and death, and that's what the yeah. quiz is all about this week. Um, that's not bad taste. Are the following actors dead or alive? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Go on. In a a quiz I'm calling dead or alive. Uh, If it helps, the actors I've picked have all appeared in films uh, that we've covered on the show. So I'm going to give you the name of the actor. I'll I'll tell you what film they're in that we've done. And I want you to tell me if they are dead or alive. Simple as that. So we are starting off with Ed Asner, who played Santa Claus in Elf. He alive. is dead. He is um, alive. Point to Vicky. Yes. He's, he's in his 90s, but he just popped up in the most recent series of Cobra Kai.
1: <sighs> okay. So, so what, what I didn't want to happen, playing this quiz has just happened, which is claim somebody's dead who's not dead. So, I mean, really, I can't go any further down the ladder on this quiz. But, <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but yeah, Excellent. Yeah, it's terrible taste. This is a lot of fun. Uh, Adrian Barbeau, who played uh,
4: Stevie Wayne in The Fog, the DJ.
2: Alive.
3: Dead. Sorry, I'm coughing. I'm not laughing. (laughs) Is she dead?
4: Uh, That's awful. She is alive. I saw her in a short that played at Fright Fest last year. Uh, Point to Alex. Uh, Dick Miller, (laughs) who played Mr. Futterman in uh, the Gremlins movies.
3: He's alive. alive. No. Dead. He's dead. Sorry. He's
4: alive. He's dead, died in 2019. Point to Vicky. Uh, Brian Doyle oh, Murray, got- who, yeah, yeah. who is the mayor in Groundhog Day, he ran the Caddyshack and Caddyshack, and he's Bill Murray's brother. He's alive.
3: Oh, I think he's alive as well.
4: You're both correct. He is alive. Well done, Brian.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. oh, can you can, can you see how uncomfortable even you are? You created this quiz, and there's a certain air of tension about this quiz coming from you as well. Like, well done, Brian. Are, you're still alive, is that right? Should you did you want to say it like that? C- Congratulations, Brian. <laughs> uh, Wallace Sean, who plays Vicini in uh,
4: Princess Bride,
3: he's alive. He was in Marriage Story. I'm going to
1: say, I'm going to, well, now I, uh, he's, fuck it, he's dead. He's alive. Vicky helped you there. Thank God for that, because I said, fuck it, he's dead, which would have (laughs) been awful. I'm so bad at dealing with a quiz like this. Great.
4: (laughs) Richard Keel, who played the caddy in Happy Gilmore and is best known as Jaws in the Bond movies.
3: Oh, he's dead.
4: I'm going to just go with Vicky on the.
3: Yeah, he's dead.
4: Dead. Correct. Right. Great. Topol, who played Varkov in Flash
1: Gordon.
3: Ah, uh, he's. Oh, I don't. I actually don't know, so I'm just going to say alive.
1: Well, I need to. I need some points. So, with apologies, I think he's dead. He is alive, even though he stopped acting Damn in it.
4: 1998. Uh, three left. Sam Elliott, who played Wade Garrett in Roadhouse.
3: <gasps> alive. Alive.
4: Yeah, he's very much alive. <laughs> uh, Victor Wong, who played Egg Shen in Big Trouble in Little China. <gasps>
3: um, alive. Alive.
4: Died 20 years ago. No! And, <laughs> and finally, David Huddleston, who was Santa Claus in Santa Claus the Movie, and he's also future Clash character, the Big Lebowski.
3: Oh, Alive.
4: Alive. Very much dead. Sorry, David. Oh. Um, so we have a winner. It is Victoria, 7-4. She knows her dead from her alive.
3: Thank you so much.
4: Congratulations, Victoria. Um, just one thing, though. We record about a week in advance. So if Ed, Adrian, Brian, Wallace, Topol or Sam could please stay alive between now and then, I'd be very grateful. And if one of them does yes. die, I'm not. I'm not redistributing the points. So that's your lot.
3: <laughs> oh, thank God.
4: It's, it seems fair, right? Let's move on. My clue for next
1: week's films is "It Ain't Easy Being Green." Great, that's a good clue. That's a great clue. Guessers on Twitter at ClashPod. We are also on Instagram at ClashPod. That is us done for this week. We're going to be back on Thursday when Victoria takes us through Jacob's Ladder, the Challenger against Flatliners. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and indeed review us if you have time. It is a huge help and massively appreciated. Back on Thursday. Bye-bye.
2: This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.